Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. This week, uh, you know, we're in the dog days of January and there's not really much uh, major releases happening right now. Award season is slowly starting to kick off and maybe next week we'll We'll do some Sundance dispatches with some of the Film Inquiry writers covering titles out of there. But this week, decided to do something special. Very welcome to have on her first appearance on the latest uh, Bailey Joe Josie. Welcome. Bailey, had you on this week because uh, I guess about a month ago, you messaged saying you wanted to discuss Power of the Dog and mentioned that movie a few times on the show already. I think I first mentioned it back in... Gosh, early, early, sometime in September-ish when I, I got a chance to see it early and we were talking about fall festivals and I, I just was like espousing my love and praise for it and then mentioned it a little bit last week during our kind of like year-end episode. But, you know, it seems to be kind of the front runner in this award season and Jane Campion herself is in the conversation in a way I feel like she hasn't been in a very long time. I mean, she hasn't made a movie in over a decade. She's mostly been working in television, but even then, as I think we'll, we'll get into, it's been quite a while since she's had a movie that was, it seems like was this much in the conversation, even if she's had movies that maybe were worthy of, of conversation that wasn't around them. Um, So I first want to toss it to you of just like you mentioned that Jane Campion is one of your favorite filmmakers. And what was sort of your, your introduction to, her work and what makes her such a, a unique voice in your mind well what's so what's so interesting like is what you said about you know now she's having this kind of resurgence of eyes on her because yeah the way i first learned about her was i was making this video about basically about how there is like such low um disparity of female directors in like mm. hollywood and so me and my friend, we were making a video about all of the um, nominees for Best Director who are women. And she's only the second one in the 90s, you know? Right. And through making that video, I like was like, hmm, the piano. I, I know this poster. I guess I should watch this movie. And I was completely blown away. Like, like I'm not very into most dramas. I don't like usually mm-hmm. go seeking out dramas. It's one of the best movies I've ever seen. She's unbelievable. <laughs> and and it's so funny. And literally that movie sustained me for a good like six years. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like um, usually my love for directors is like they I just have to see one thing of theirs and it's instantly like you're the best. I love you so much. Um, and I've recently gotten to watch her other films like like Power of the Dog and It's just like, (laughs) it's so funny because I literally was like, God, uh, wouldn't it be so cool? Like if this director did this movie instead, like how would that movie be? Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, what if she directed The Legends of the Fall? Have you seen that one? Oh, I I haven't, but I know, I know of it. And it's, it's funny you like mentioning that because I was like, as some preparation, I was watching some interviews with her and there was one, I think like New York film festival Q and a, she had, and people were like coming up in the audience being like, would you ever direct Wuthering Heights? And 
you know she has this like wonderful dry humor about her where she's like oh i love weathering heights but you know it feels a little bit weathered by this point (laughs) and so like it is funny of like you even kind of hinting at she is someone that there's there's so much material out there that like once you are like aware of her style you're like oh this this would be such perfect material for her to sink her teeth into and even she is sort of hyper aware of having that that kind of reputation yeah and like and i i see why someone would ask like weathering height weathering heights because you know she did bright star Mm -hmm. which is very in the vein of like you know joe wright's uh pride and prejudice or whatever or even the just the piano but no so legends of the fall it's the brad pitt movie where Mm -hmm. he's a cowboy in Montana in the early 20th century. And right. there's uh, issues with his brothers. And I feel like I manifested her directing this film, not going to lie, because I was like, I would <laughs> love to see her direct it, her version of Legends of the Fall. And this is like almost that, but even better. Like, because that movie is very melodramatic. This movie's not. It's perfect. I love this movie. Yeah, so I I think that's maybe a good transition for us to talk a little bit more about Power of the Dog and, um, you know, I guess my relationship with Campion. I I came to her pretty late. It was probably the the TV stuff she was involved with the the yeah. show Top of the Lake, um, with Elizabeth Moss, just because I was such a a big Mad Men fan, and then so like here this new series that had Elizabeth Moss in it, and I was like, oh, I'm a thousand percent going to check this out, and she does two seasons of that show which i i think is really good um i don't have you seen any of it or seen all of it i've literally never heard of it actually uh, oh it's uh, what, it's it's very well, good until this yeah. what channel was it on i believe it aired on ifc or it was one of those like you know uh here in the states like amc will sometimes um do air kind of shows from britain or new zealand or australia um and so she made that show i think the first season is set in new zealand and the second season is much more urban and set in i believe sydney um but i i think i just watched it on netflix or something of just like saw it was on there and was like oh i did not realize elizabeth moss like made this australian tv series (laughs) and then that was sort of my introduction to then like reading all these pieces of being like no this is this like palm door winning filmmaker <laughs> from new zealand and she is like the real deal and um that was sort of the the introduction i guess to her work but i think for me what's so fascinating about her is she her material is so knotted and so complex and i think she creates these very um unique characters that have all these complex contradictions to them and is able to sort of give her actors this this sort of freedom and comfort to kind of explore those contradictions and all the complexity of these characters and then she's able to bring out all of this interesting sort of surprising drama out of those interactions um which is is really i think first and foremost what struck me about power of the dog but what what were kind of your thoughts just seeing it for the first time 
so yeah i for for me i i love her characters how she does characters as well the thing that always gets me about her movies specifically is how like she perfectly um takes like a snapshot of the most mm-hmm. mundane tiniest details of our lives you know like i love myself like a slice of life anime you know or a ghibli mm-hmm. film uh but like she does it so effortlessly so meaningfully and i'm always kind of in that uh ebb and flow of like oh man there's movies that are too long remember back in the day when they were 90 minutes and it was perfectly crafted to do this this and this and there's a lot of um there's a lot of space in her films but they're all so important and i can't really think of too many directors that do that and with the power of the dog my my god this woman i was like i was so captured literally by every single frame in it and you know peter making the paper um flowers and even just even just kristen dunst like passing out the fried chicken i was like oh my god this is the most incredible thing i've ever seen she just has this way of making really small things intriguing Mm -hmm. and yeah like you know i i went through a lot of her filmography and it's like man i would never watch this movie (laughs) just by the description but because it's her i'm just like yes i need this put this into my veins please um and yeah, with Power of the Dog, uh, she does such a good job of bringing out the best um, performances and actors, like fully, you know? Yeah, definitely. And and I think getting surprising performance, performances that you would not expect out of certain actors. I mean, yes. there's there's been a lot of talk about, you know... I, when I first, this is not the kind of performance I would have ever imagined out of Benedict Cumberbatch. And I, in talking about this movie, um, it's been interesting of me going through my own uh, sort of journey of, do I really think Benedict Cumberbatch, did I really think Benedict Cumberbatch was sort of like a limited actor or had he just sort of been typecast in a very specific, like Sherlock-esque uh, character archetype of like the kind of like, bitchy smart ass uh <laughs> british person <laughs> um and then seeing this movie and being like oh no she sees something in him that now in hindsight makes total sense but is not the thing that everyone else in hollywood was trying to pull out of benedict cumberbatch and yeah. her able to see see in something like uh, Sherlock that I mentioned, which I feel feel like kind of became the basis for every other performance that he did, where just Hollywood saw him on that show and was just like, okay, this is the kind of character that he's really good at playing. And so, totally. you know, whether it's a prestige movie or a Marvel movie, he'll be some iteration on this. And then this movie where he's playing like a real mean son of a bitch <laughs> and My seeing God. it and being like, no, I kind of do remember like him on Sherlock, like he's kind of an asshole to everyone on that show. It's just he's a fun asshole. And then <laughs> Campion able to sort of spin this. And there there is also a performative aspect to his character of yes. Phil in Power of the Dog. And so it's even been interesting talking with people about this movie and they say, 
what's brilliant about that performance is Benedict Cumberbatch is not who you would expect to be doing this sort of swaggering kind of like brutish John Wayne-esque performance. (laughs) But, you know, John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, sort of like American Western uh, iconography, just like where draped over him like some like skinned buffalo or something like that. But and and that some aspect of it feels performative but that is the character because phil is putting on this over-the-top masculine persona that might not even be true to him he is putting on a performance for the rest of the world of what he has sort of inferred being a a quote-unquote like man uh out in the the wilderness of montana is and she's done this with so many different actors i mean We'll talk a little bit about like, you know, Meg Ryan and in the cut and oh my like God, re- yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something of like, you know, Meg Ryan being this kind of like America's sweetheart and then Jane Campion using her for this erotic thriller where she is very naked, both emotionally and physically on screen or even like Holly Hunter of like going back and reading reviews for the piano of that, that kind of very muted physical performance is not really something that people would necessarily associate with Holly Hunter, which if you think about like raising Arizona or broadcast news, like she's this very like rapid fire, like motor mouth in the best possible way. Screwball (laughs) actress. And And now she doesn't speak. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's being, it's so interesting to me when Campion is able to, to pluck actors out and, and, see something in them that maybe the rest of the world doesn't necessarily see. Oh, completely. And what what's so funny is like ta- thinking about like a wannabe John Wayne, you know, the time this the time that the movie set is like you know, early film and mm-hmm. westerns were everything, you know, Tom right. Tom Mix. Oh my god, it's Tom Mix and um it's an era where everything about like the old West is completely like um, romanticized, you know, mm-hmm. Wyatt Earp and um, Bat Masterson, all those guys. I grew up like doing rodeo. So I know these people like personally, <laughs> but um, yeah, like it's completely uh, him just trying to embody um, these things that he'd seen. And it's like super hyper, hyper toxic masculine nitty mm-hmm. in it like it's like uh earliest form at least for like you know kind of this country well in american culture like when you think of a like, big tough american guy you think of a cowboy and right. yet the way he the way he dresses as a cowboy is so interesting because it it seems very um it seems like uh he's like doesn't know what to wear like he doesn't really have the big hat he wears these like strange overalls and he's got the big like (laughs) rusky shaps and it's it's so interesting to me like kind of having that background of it and I for me I felt right away like "Mm, he's hiding something like this feels like an overcompensation and I think that's that's something Cumberbatch does so well um, is really allowing those teeny tiny vulnerabilities through, even when he's being a bastard, you know, like, you know, and I'm, 
the thing I mostly know him from, I first knew him from Atonement. When oh, that's he, right. Yeah. I, I've never seen Sherlock. Um, I've just, you know, clips. Mm. Um, but yeah, I know him from like Atonement. And then, oh, oh, what was the other one? It was like, um, oh, The Imitation Game. And, oh, that's right. Yeah. And those are like when I think of his performances, that's what I think of. And mm-hmm. it's just like, it's it's so interesting how he, like you said, he's become this like almost typecasty, like, oh yeah, I'm going to be like the arrogant prick right. <laughs> <laughs> who know, who's smarter than everybody else. And I feel like this is kind of a mix of those two personas of his like acting repertoire of like arrogant prick who treats everyone like garbage, but there's something deeper there. Yeah, there's kind of like there's a a vulnerability that she's bringing out underneath the surface that the you know the the prickishness is is an aspect of performance. Um, I'll kind of just sort of give a a, a warning here for listeners. Um, if you haven't seen Power of the Dog, we are going to be talking spoilers, so f- please go out and watch it. It's on Netflix. It's pretty readily accessible. Um, I feel like we've talked about it on previous episodes enough that I can give that warning and we can just dive fully into. But um, another aspect that like really shined for me in this movie that Campion has touched on in other stuff is, I mean, you mentioned this idea of toxic masculinity, but I feel like a through line throughout all of her work is she is very playful with the the dynamics of men and women and spe- yes. specifically this like masculine versus feminine dynamic and sort of putting those against each other, having them sort of in duel with each other and subverting them in some ways. And there is something so brilliant about this movie kind of starting off as this like very rugged, manly Western in a, in a lot of senses and yeah. that that being like the loving the movie through the first hour or so but it being a bit of like oh this is a bit of a slightly different pace from what i'm used to with her and then as the movie goes on and the cody smith mcphee character comes more into the plot and then that's when it becomes more clear of like oh now she's you know subverting the idea of maybe there's a a feminine side to this very masculine character that we don't realize. And then you get to the ending. And I I talked about on the the 2020 episode, 2021 episode last week of just (laughs) the thrill of the moment when I realized that this Western is actually an erotic thriller Mm. and having the, the end of the movie being, um, you know, it's, it's not, uh, like, you you think it twists that, you, man. <laughs> right. It there was a moment of like when Cumberbatch and the Cody Smith McPhee character get together when I thought, oh, is this now going to become this sort of like sweet, kind of broke back mountain like <laughs> love story, <laughs> having never read the book that it's based off of. And then when it's like, oh no, this is this her using these like two men, one who is outwardly masculine outwardly masculine and another one that's outwardly feminine but having the outwardly feminine one sort of use that femininity to best the other one and and actually sort of like figuratively throw him in front of the bus to like save the family in a sense i thought yeah. it was just the, at, at, when the credits started rolling i was like whoa i i 1000 understand what it was out of this story that she wanted to 
to do. And this is another kind of classic campion. I'm I'm playing around with the the stereotypes of feminine versus masculine gender stereotypes and and has found a way to bake that into this interesting western that actually is hiding an erotic thriller in its center it it's so funny like you know her her most famous movies are like the period pieces that are like um like either love story or a a complex um romance you know like Mm -hmm. the piano or even in the cut and and it's this is as far as I know, this is kind of her first like kind of uh, queer na- narrative. Mm-hmm. And um, I think she she nailed it completely. Uh, it's it's so interesting looking at like the masculine feminine thing, because um, Peter embodies his femininity so strongly. And that's the thing that really kind of turns it because um as soon as Cumberbatch's character Phil realizes that this kid does not care that everyone is calling him a sissy and is like catcalling him, which oh my god, of course, of course, a bunch of these cowboys are going to catcall this little boy, like the, <laughs> you know, that's 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 how you uh, let men know that women are bad. They can't mm-hmm. even possibly remind any of them of like being feminine, but that is like the point him seeing that confidence in himself that like Phil is like, Hmm, interesting. I'm going to take this little guy under my wing. Oh, but the little, the little guy's got um, anthrax. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> um, I, it, and it, but you, it's so funny. You said Brokeback Mountain because the, the original novel inspired the short story of Brokeback Mountain. Oh, that's right. Yeah, there's the, yeah. the forward Netflix like is like a PR thing, like mailed me and some other people in the critics group. I'm in the the book copy of it, and there is a forward by the the author of the uh, Brokeback Mountain story. Yeah, and it's like um, I, I'm in a book club, and I'm like, I gotta make everyone read this book because I want them to watch the movie, and I. I think it's like, okay, I, I actually just watched Brokeback Mountain for the first time and I really enjoyed it, but mm-hmm. I feel like at, this is like miles ahead of it in every oh, way yeah, because definitely. it's Campion. Yes. <laughs> and, I mean, this has a yeah. whole other like psychosexual sort of underpinning to it that, I mean, Bro- Brokeback Mountain I think is really good, but is 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 a, rom- a like purely, I think, kind of sweet romance Whereas yeah. this this has something a little bit more is, thorny and twisted so going sinister. on. Yes. And I think it's I really love how um at, as soon as Phil starts mentioning Bronco Henry, I I was like, okay, he he's a he's a gay man. Bronco Henry, like, uh was his lover. That's totally mm-hmm. what this is all about. And I loved the way that um Campion uh, you know, gives like um, kind of uh, hints at that, you know, of him like uh, polishing the saddle, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mm, there, there's no subtext to that at all. <laughs> there, certainly no sub you, to the, the rope making in particular oh. is, oh, is okay. like 
she she i i fully so agree sexual. with you so yeah good. she she has a great understanding of like metaphor or you know imbuing something with a an aura of sexual tension even that that you know it isn't explicitly clear but is completely clear if that makes sense like everything you're saying with like the way cumberbatch kind of like is polishing that saddle and kind of gripping it and the the sound of him like pulling that rope or just the act of like i need to teach this kid how to to make a rope and and there there is something both metaphorical while also like specifically clear about the the sexual aspect to that that i find so interesting just there's just the placement like the you know the mise-en-scene of that Mm-hmm. scene where he is making the rawhide making the rawhide into the rope like just having it framed on his hips mm-hmm. you know it's what i feel like with any other director it would be like so heavy-handed and right. just kind of like um well you know uh oh we're gonna have this uh guy who is sexually frustrated we're gonna have him go rub something um, right. you know but the way that she presents it and the way that she shoots it and just has it be is just so like if you're if you're not like in tuned to uh exactly what's going on like with phil like getting that underlying feeling or notion of like this is definitely someone overcompensating for what they feel inside it's so easy to be like Oh man, yeah, that's that saddle's real dirty. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, yeah. Oh, go ahead. So good. No, it's just like um I I really love this movie, man. It's so good. It's and, so good. Yeah. I And, and I mean, yeah. there there is like even thinking about how it connects to other parts of her career. I mean, she is I think one of the best directors at um sort of conveying a certain kind of desire um whether it's something as kind of pure like maybe this is a chance for us to kind of like branch into like how this movie connects to some of her other stuff even if it's as something as pure as so much of bright star has to deal with the desire and attraction and love that these characters have but they can't be together and even have it be in physical spaces of like uh ben wishaw is having to be inside because he's (laughs) deathly ill and they are having to sort of like come with consumption right having to communicate with each other through like windows and stuff as she's outside yes or the going back to something like the piano which probably still is my favorite film of hers but is a way more twisted movie I think than I than I originally thought it was going to be like when I first watched it during the the pandemic a few years ago mm-hmm. and a few years ago no don't well, say that <laughs> the early yes the early days of the pandemic when it was like oh this is going to blow over in a couple months I'll finally get around to the piano um yeah. but like that being a way more psychosexual movie than I originally realized and not knowing that like a major part of it is Holly Hunter sort of selling her body essentially to mm. Harvey Keitel in order to get back this this piano that means so much to her and this sort of like weird kind of morally gray but sort of like very odd and fascinating 
give and take between her character and the Harvey Keitel character and the way yeah. that they sort of, it becomes this very like uh matter of fact, like transaction that then morphs into these very complicated feelings because they are sharing such this, this intimate experience with each other. And then into the more twisted ways that that goes into her filmography, like in the cut, which is a movie I rewatched last night and I'm really fascinated to talk with you about because <laughs> Yo, it is sort God. of the it's sort of the one of the movies in her filmography that is now getting like a bit of a reappraisal but so much of that is like the you know I feel a little less qualified to speak on this as a straight <laughs> white guy but you know the the sexual desire of a straight woman to want something out of men but having to sort of like go into a certain danger zone in order to achieve that or even like uh, a movie. I don't know if you've seen her, uh, the, the Kate Winslet one, Holy, Holy Holy smoke. I have not yet. Um, I have not yet. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think that's one of the like harder ones to find, but like the whole kind of premise of that movie is like Kate Winslet. It has been in a cult and her family gets her out of the cult and hires Harvey Keitel to sort of de-brainwash her. But then it becomes this weird, like, battle of the sexes in this cabin between Kate Winslet and Harvey Keitel, and Kate Winslet sort of using her sexuality to kind of flip the power structure of these two people in this cabin and kind of, like, in in vulgar terms, kind of make Harvey Keitel her bitch to a certain extent. (laughs) And then, like, the movie basically, like, Harvey Keitel becomes more feminine as the movie goes on and Kate Winslet becomes more of the masculine dominant force in this cabin. Really weird kind of like kooky uh, hysterical movie that I, I if you haven't like, seen um, it. It sounds like Black Snake Moan. You know? <laughs> I wish I haven't seen, but what I know of it, it, it sounds similar to that of like the, you know, the person who you think of more as the, the captor in this, this situ- or the person who is captive in this situation flips the tables and becomes more dominant force in, mm. in this confined space. But yeah, there is just such a fascinating way that she uses gender dynamics and sexuality in her movies and how characters sort of use that to throw off the power structures and certain dynamics and what they want to get from others. The, the big through line for me with uh, most of her films that I've seen is just like she she has a really brilliant way of kind of looking at the overall environment, especially with her period pieces of where uh, women and anyone else who's like kind of like um, vulnerably placed in society, mm-hmm. they have to navigate that world and try and find like their own power, you know, mm-hmm. like you said, like in their desires, like the piano, she, she, all she wants to do is play her goddamn piano. And, she, but she, you know, yeah, she has to, like barter with this man. I mean, but she's finding like real true love through that, which is like so twisted, but I, Jane does that so well. And then bright star it's, uh, <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no sex at all. There's, but there's like kissing and, uh, but it's very much like, you're too poor to marry me, but I want to marry you. And then with Power of the Dog, you know, 
Phil is a very complicated, complex character because he's such a bastard. I I cannot forgive him for how he treats Kirsten Dunst. But oh gosh, I mean that almost so... makes you want to cheer at at the end of like oh poor, I did poor Kirsten Dunst has to get like run through the ringer and of being like brute just like tormented at every inch of this movie by this this man it's so it's so like oh god because she's so earnest and so sweet in it and yet you know from the hints we get of his relationship with bronco henry Mm -hmm. it's very much like this is all this man knows the only Mm -hmm. the only levity in his life was this man who taught him how to be a cowboy and how to be like a lover um but he can't act on it and so the only way he can like really express his needs is to just go into overdrive of like being hyper masculine and it's so clear that he was like groomed and abused by bronco henry mm-hmm. and you can kind of see him being like well this is what i have to do to peter right and but Peter is so sure of himself and so um let's say uh mentally mature to the point where he's a psychopath. Right. But but like he he keys into that so quickly and he knows exactly what um you know what Phil is doing. And it's a very interesting twist of that of subversion that isn't really in a lot of Campion's movies. I, at least from looking at them recently, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, it's kind of like um, the, uh, just the generations of like, okay, this is the generation where, you know, <laughs> Bronco Henry, we're just going to secretly take boys as lovers. And then the next generation, well, I was taken as a lover. I don't know what to do with it. I'm just going to be horrible to everybody and try and control everything in my way. Oh, here's a nice little young twink. I'm going to try and get in on that, just the way it was with me. And then Peter was very much like, I'm going to use this. I'm going to use what is being thrust upon me to get my way. Kind of like, I guess kind of like with uh, Holly Hunter and the piano. It's Yeah. It's so, oh, it's so well done and so interesting how there is that thing of like trying to find power of of the dog uh in campion's films you know like even just looking at like did you uh, did you see her movie sweetie i think that was like her debut film yeah so i was about to ask you about uh how many of her earlier stuff you've seen it's actually her so there's a tv movie she does before called two friends that's yeah it's pro. I I think it's probably my least favorite of her movies, if only because it's it, you know it's one of those debut features that's like, it it's it's pretty solid, but it's it's you can still feel someone kind of figuring things out. Although I yeah. think, um, that one which I watched recently because a bunch of her, uh, pretty much all of her early stuff is on the Criterion Channel right now for anyone looking to to check it out. Yes, check them out. Um, but what's so immediately clear there is she has such a like inherent understanding of dynamics between women, which saying that now (laughs) sounds probably really pretentious and stupid coming from the mouth of a man, but, but um, you're right. 
but of just yeah it, it felt like you know okay this is the same dynamic i've witnessed with like my sister and her friends and this is a movie about two the friendship between two high school girls that sort of corrodes over time but memento style i was just gonna say memento style (laughs) it's the jane campion memento movie of like it starts out with the friendship has sort of ended and then it is like coursing backwards to show like what the bond used to be and that you know very i i'm i'm sure you could probably speak to it better than i can very (laughs) unusual and highly specific uh experience that is the the friendship between two high school girls which one moment could be you know over the course of a couple weeks could be like man they're the like closest friends can be and then like two weeks later it could be like yeah fuck her i'm <laughs> mo- <laughs> she's the worst person in the world um but you know i i love sweetie um which you mentioned uh i rewatched um an angel at my table a few nights ago that's um, a good one yeah yeah which table yeah um but sweetie is so interesting too because it's i think if you like that one you might like holy smoke a lot too because it's got that same kind of like kooky kind of comedic energy but it like a very very hyper specific tone um i think that's such a marvel of sweetie that it it is so deadpan while also cartoonish and is able to kind of like maintain that the entire time, but also feels plugged into these like very specific uh, family dynamics and suburban anxieties, I guess. Yeah. It, I, I loved watching sweetie because it, like, just like you said, it's, I mean, by the end I wanted, I mean, spoilers by the end, I wanted sweetie dead. I was so happy. But uh, I've she... forgotten how like <laughs> the whole climax of that movie is like the dysfunctional sister on in like a treehouse naked she covered in like mud. Yes, and like falls through the treehouse or something, and that's the climax of the movie. And it it it's one of it's it's one of those things where if I read the synopsis, I'd be like, I would never ever watch this. What is this? But the story of it and the the way the characters work together and just like how how cinematic but yet realistic they are like you know uh <laughs> this what this uh palm reader tells her her true love has a question mark on his face mm-hmm. and then we see see that and then you know she goes through all this but she actually realizes she has to work at her relationship Right. It's not just like going to magically fully come together for her. And yet here's Sweetie, her sister, who does everything so wrong and in a way that just makes you wish that you had never met her. She gets all the enabling and all the love in the world from their father. And in the end, it like uh, it kind of kills her. Because she just gets to do whatever she wants. And I I really love the way Campion just displays that and shows those dynamics of, like, um, not only of, like, sisters, but also uh, women and other women, and especially men and women. And now with mm-hmm. Power of the Dog, men and men. Which Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. Um, like, the other thing I saw I thought was interesting, like, in terms of, like, I guess sisterhood is, like, in the cut, um, Jennifer Jason Lee is Megan Ryan, Meg, Megan, Meg Ryan's half sister, 
And there's so many like parts in it where it did kind of seem like it was going to get sexual between them. Mm-hmm. Just the way that everything was kind of being set up and, and all that. But it's like, no, this is just kind of how like, especially sisters close in age. Um, there is that real uh, familiarity that um, I wouldn't necessarily trust like other directors to fully convey. And I think mm-hmm. Because Jane Campion is a woman and she also comes from a film world that is is um, kind of newer. Like, uh, I guess um, one of her movies was like the first uh, An Angel at the Table was the first New Zealand movie to go to Venice. I I believe it. And and yeah. also like watching rewatching that movie the other night. um, an unusual case of that was conceived or like made to be a mini series over in New Zealand, but just like the rest of the world viewed it as a, a feature film and you wouldn't, I mean, I guess you could see it cause it's broken up in the chapters, but it doesn't feel like this thing that's just sort of being like loosely, like it doesn't feel like you're watching like a, a television, binging a television series. It yeah. feels like a cohesive um, story, even if it, I think is one of her more, um conventional in that that it is uh, a a pretty like straightforward biopic but has all that kind of like wonderful texture and wonderful sense of of people in the interactions between community members and siblings and friendships and between men and women in that movie that's like very singular to her yeah and okay so i watched bright star before i watched an angel at my table and mm-hmm. i sorry y'all i i did not know who um john yates was <laughs> you know i know by i know lord byron and that's kind of as far as my romantic poets go knowledge i'm go. not a poet expert either so yeah. don't don't feel uh I, I i think the first time i watched that i didn't know it was a biopic either. totally and it didn't feel like a biopic and i there were parts of her I was like, this is so, this is kind of a strange, like, setup for a love story. And then I, like, literally halfway through, I'm, like, looking at it and it's like, oh, these are real people. Okay, that makes 100%. That makes sense. But um, I, usually biopics aren't that great, like, in terms mm-hmm. of, like, directing. You always are, are think of the performances. You never think of the directing and right. or the production of it. And with Pride Star, you know, she's getting a very, um, like, literally a year within these two people's lives. And then um, when I first saw that An Angel at My Table was um, a biography, I was like, oh, God, I'm not going to watch this. No way. <laughs> but watching Bright Star and seeing what she can do with real life people um, and bring them like uh, into like, um, you know, modern day sensibilities and stuff. I was like, okay, yes, I got to watch an angel at my table. And I'm so glad because it's so, it's so different from any other biographical thing I've ever seen, ever experienced. And I feel like, um, I feel like it's such a gift that, you know, the New Zealand, film scene is is a little um more isolated until recently Mm -hmm. recently because it's like that's how real creativity like grows you know yeah and 
Um, it's just like the things that the things that she conveys in her earlier movies, it's like though that would be considered um some like indie schlock now. Right. Like if someone that was American was doing it and had like a worse, less introspective um script where you know every other thing is like a a fucking like, well that happened. <laughs> you know? And um I I also like most almost all of her movies has somebody reciting some kind of poetry or classic um, literature, right. like in the cut, bright star, the piano, the power, the power of the dog. Literally, the very last thing is like a Bible verse. I'm like, okay, right. that 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 checks out. And uh, she very clearly has a really deep sense of um, art. And well, she was an artist, actually, I, I've read like mm-hmm. she she came to directing kind of like because every other art form she was doing wasn't fulfilling her. And it's like, yeah, because she was fucking born director. Right. And um, she's so surprising too. like literally, except for The Power of the Dog, because I grew up with Westerns, none of her movies I would ever be like, I'm totally going to watch that. And yeah, it God, I love her so much, man. I'm glad I'm here talking about it with you. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I I feel like people try to categorize. I mean, the the sort of costume dramas in mm. together. Um, I mean, I feel like Bright Star, or I feel like Angel in My Table, kind of fits into a biopic genre. Bright Star is a biopic, but I feel like. One of the one of the reasons I think it tr- sort of transcends a biopic is it it is sort of a uh, a love story first and foremost, mm-hmm. kind of like how we were saying, like you can enjoy it without necessarily knowing uh, the real people at its center, and just get like rewatched it a few nights ago and get sort of swooped up in their romance and these two people who can't help but be around each other, even though it doesn't societally makes sense she and just wants to dance and flirt <laughs> yes i mean i i have to say both times that i've seen it that spoiler i guess to what happened to an actual person but um <laughs> you know when 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 ben wishaw dies at the end and she gets the the reaction she has to hearing the news of his death um, like that, that makes me cry. That has made me cry both times that I watch it of just when I rewatched it the other night, I was just like, yeah, someone was movie. cutting onions, man. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. And it, and it's like the exact minute that her reaction starts where, where it is, it is not just this kind of like hyperventilating crying and like calling out to her mother. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, you know, people want to talk about like the notebook making people cry. You, you want to real like carve your soul out, uh, romance movie, Ch- check out bright star. But, um, yes, uh, one, one movie we haven't really touched on that. I'm curious if you've seen, it's <laughs> been a while since I've seen it is portrait of a lady with Nicole Kidman. Um, I will tell you this, that movie, at least for me being mm-hmm. in Japan, that movie is impossible for me to access. I I will say I remember l- admiring it more than I enjoyed it. I'm I'm mm. curious to revisit it. It wasn't streaming anywhere so I didn't get a chance to revisit it for this this episode, but um being like a very like immaculately crafted like gorgeous movie to look at, but 
remember there being something a little like cold and distant about it but Mm -hmm. i know it also comes out in that like post piano uh period of her career where like as we've kind of touched on she does all these like very acclaimed indie films in new zealand and then does the piano that is kind of the movie that explodes her into being this international auteur she becomes the first woman ever to win the palm d'or at the Cannes film festival it's nominated for all these oscars and is you know i agree with you just generally like in the the pantheon of like great movies ever made um and then like the three movies she does after that portrait of a lady holy smoke and in the cut which we should probably talk some more about (laughs) we're Um, saving that that's the that's the final boss yes uh (laughs) you know those get very mixed to i think negative reactions i think partially because well, two of those movies are very weird, but I think mm. also Portrait of the Lady had the misfortune of coming out right after this sort of like totemic movie that kind of overshadowed it a little and people were a little like maybe the sense that I've gotten is people were a little bit maybe more savage on Portrait of a Lady at the time than it deserves. But um, I, I was just curious if you had seen it because I didn't get a chance to re-watch it, but remember it being admiring it more than necessarily like enjoying it or finding as much to kind of hold on to as some of her other movies yeah i so apparently the only way to like really watch it is to get the dvd of it Mm -hmm. on amazon and then um over here um physical uh movie rental places are still a thing and like very Mm -hmm. much thriving and they had in the cut they had the piano they had bright star they did not have portrait of a lady which is crazy because i'm in a completely foreign country mm-hmm. and um i i remember wanting to watch it when i first watched the piano i was like oh if it's i guess this is her thing these period pieces with these women okay right but she's so good i gotta watch it and um and then i saw it like was very not well received and i was like how can that be but from watching the trailer I it it doesn't look great. <laughs> well, it seems very it it seems like a sophomore. Obviously, it's not like the piano was not her debut film, but right for it feels like a sophomore slump kind of thing post piano. Well, let's maybe talk a little bit more about uh, maybe her most provocative work, which is <laughs> is in in the cut, which is cut. you know the the erotic thriller she makes in the early two thousands with uh meg ryan and mark ruffalo um i'm 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 really interested to hear you talk about your feelings about this movie i when i rewatched it last night i think it is such an one of the more interesting movies in her filmography while one that sort of like it i'm so conflicted about it of like there's something about it that doesn't totally work for me of as as like a thriller but also it's got so many interesting ideas in it and it it feels like a little bit of a mess but it's kind of like a really fascinating mess i i don't know i i know it is also a movie that there is now kind of reappraisal of it and people are trying to come around to it and and it has garnered like a cult status of like an un, underrated masterpiece of like the early 2000s I, yeah, I just watched it for the first time last night. So it's like very fresh in my mind. I I do what I know of it prior to watching it is um, 
may you see Meg Ryan's tits like that's like it and it kind of ruined her career in a way yeah um and because you know she was Meg Ryan she was Sally she was you know one of the sleepless in in Seattle and uh it's so interesting kind of my first time watching it being you know decades later because I think she's great in it and Mm -hmm. it's very clear that um she wanted a departure from her um from like her kind of image I guess and I'm very grateful that she chose Campion to do that with because Mm -hmm. I think that aspect of the character is so well done um like this, the erotic stuff was very erotic, very nice. You know, there, great I mean, Mark <laughs> Mark Ruffalo successfully being Mark... like very creepy, while also like even as a heterosexual guy, I was like, <laughs> no, I get, I get it. Like, I get, I get what the appeal of Mark Ruffalo it's, is. It's the first and... time I've ever found him like hot. I will say, I've never thought of him as like a sexy like person, and mm-hmm. I get it. I get it, man. He's he's looking good. Um, (laughs) the, the thing that I think it's so, I think it's interesting, like this, like you're saying, there's this resurgence of it, of like getting praise. And I don't, I don't quite agree. I feel Mm -hmm. like it's a very, in terms of a campion film, the things that make it very campion really elevate it, you know, all the stuff with, um, with Meg Ryan's character, um, her sensuality, her um trying to uh deal with these men around her oh my god kevin bacon no my poor <laughs> kevin bacon being uncharismatic a weirdly uncredited kevin bacon in the movie I, that like when he pops up you're like what what is he doing here <laughs> i kevin bacon is the single most charismatic greatest film presence ever everything i've ever seen him in it makes the movie better this no (laughs) i couldn't believe it um he's funny though so there's that but um jane the way i feel like it's not a good script and i think she did her best with it it's kind of like um you know it's like giving a great artist literally um you know sidewalk chalk to put on Mm -hmm. you know uh (laughs) a whiteboard make something with this. And yes. um I think in that respect there's a lot I loved about it, but um I did not like the cinematography. I didn't like and it it's has a lot of choice choices being made is and, what I'll say. Like so um it and it's like of course well it's 2003 there a lot of movies looked like this then where mm-hmm. it's like that really harsh red orange tint and like it's very grimy and it reminds me of this super shallow focus as yes. as well it reminds me of this uh japanese movie called helter skelter mm-hmm. i don't know if you've heard of it i it's, haven't it's not great um and it's really ugly looking um and it reminds me of that and then also kind of like the uh what is it uh well i guess that's late 2000s but you know um repo the the Repo, the genetic opera. It's mm-hmm. it's very much that same palette. And that really turned me off to it, you know? And I just looked it up and the cinematographer, he he's he's done a lot of not great movies. So 
I feel like for me, for me, that really brings down the film. Um, yeah, it's it's sort of I would say the fascinating misfire of her career of like an yeah. interesting uh, attempt by her, I think, to do a sort of like subversive feminist take on like the erotic thriller of like instead of the woman being the the sort of sexually aggressive femme fatale like like if you think of something like basic instinct or something Mm -hmm. like her taking the dynamic of that and sort of flipping the gender dynamics and making the woman the one that is sort of like i'm enticed by this like dangerous sexually aggressive (laughs) man who like might kill me at any moment but like the, something about the danger excites me or something yeah and her doing that and it doesn't totally work but it is sort of like a fascinating uh attempt for her to kind of like do her spin on that specific genre i feel like it was it it was her chance to uh do the the erotic thriller but she wasn't given um all of her aces in a way mm. like because you know the the that first kind of sex scene you know it's pretty it's pretty long and there's a lot of dialogue and it but it's so well done and so i feel like if the movie was just that it would have been mm-hmm. perfect but um it's kind of like she she was forced to make this this erotic thriller using the rules of every other erotic thriller i mm-hmm. feel like if it had a better script i feel like if she had written the script um and she had I I'd love to know what the the production of this would have been like cuz it doesn't feel overall like a campion film and I yeah. I feel like if she if um I, I feel like if the script was better I feel like if it looked better it could have been so good. Um I do love all the performances in it especially uh Jennifer Jason Jason Lee. Um, just great in everything. Yeah, just consistently I, just good in anything. I god, she's fabulous totally totally great and i i definitely got i got the sense that like oh this sister's gonna die and it's like i've never like i don't necessarily want to feel that in a campion film i want to be surprised by what happens to the characters and um i knew i knew her head was coming off (laughs) you know (laughs) and i i definitely feel like it's a big misstep for campion but oddly, it is like the the actual erotic parts of it, I think, are very, very, very good when looking at like the genre of erotic thriller. But overall, the movie's not great. But the best parts of it are the very campion things of it. <laughs> yes. Well, um, let's yeah. let's maybe kind of uh, wrap things <laughs> up. I mean, it's been it's been fun going down the the Jane Campion rabbit hole. Uh, I, I would just say like most of these movies are kind of available to stream. I think it, with the exception of maybe Holy Smoke and Portrait of a Lady, which I think are two of the the more, uh, one, the I guess the two that don't really have a permanent streaming home. I think all of these are available to at least rent, if not are on a streaming service. Um, um, Holy, go, Smoke go ahead. Is, Holy Smoke is on Vudu to rent. Okay. I don't know. Do you, do you think Campion's going to, going to, win her best director oscar that kind of seems to be the the trend we're we're heading in you know i i also really really loved dune um Mm -hmm. i'm a i'm a huge fan of the books um and you know what 
what he was how do you say his name i'm so sorry how do you say uh denis villeneuve but i also do not speak fluent french so i'm sure like someone from i'm sure he's gonna like call up on the phone and like cuss me out for mispronouncing something but the director of dune did a really beautiful amazing job of adapting that book and bringing that into it so if he ends up winning, he they're both going to be nominated completely. If mm-hmm. if he ends up winning, I'm not going to be too mad about it. But overall, I think in terms of like really, really controlling, um, you know, kind of the ecosystem of the film, Campion all the way. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I've literally, every time I talk to someone back home, like either like in a text or whatever, I'm just like, have you watched Have I the Dog yet? Have you watched it yet? Don't talk to me until you watched it because I got to talk to you about it. I'm just when people have been saying like, hey, I need some movie recommendations. I just kind of like tip my hat up and say, have you heard the tale of Bronco Henry yet? And (laughs) (laughs) I don't think my mentor Bronco Henry would be too happy about this. Uh, And I I have to say, so I I think it was very smart of her to have this be on Netflix because Mm -hmm. her films you know kind of like the thing of like oh if someone described this movie to me i wouldn't watch it the fact that this movie is literally just right there for people to see i think uh is a really smart move because it's just going to give her more and more um visibility and people will see like how brilliant she is um I'm so, I, I'm so glad it's on Netflix. Like, you know, there's that big debate of like streaming versus cinema and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I think in this instance, I'm very, very thankful that it's there because, you know, like, like, but it seems like both you and I really came to her kind of late and that's yeah. such a shame. I think part of that too was just that, you know, it's been so long since she made a movie and you know uh like the big thing she was making when i was kind of like you know probably you know expanding my palette in terms of of directors was she was doing tv stuff and so i'm i I hope i'm glad that like with her having a, a new movie out and it being kind of you know i would love to see this on a big screen with all those great new zealand vistas filling in for montana um (laughs) but you know i i i the benefit to it being on netflix i think like you said is it having a little bit more accessibility and hopefully us doing a a show like this allows you know maybe there'll be a a rediscovery because i do kind of feel like she's gone a little underrated in the last decade or so probably just of not being a a kind of active presence in the conversation like she was in the 90s and early 2000s yeah and if if it feels like a lot of her between you know the power of the dog and the piano a lot of her movies um were kind of like in the midst of these other genres so like Mm -hmm. bright star is right like only a few years after the pride and prejudice hype you know and I went into it being like, this feels very Pride and Prejudice. But, uh, and then in the cut is like right at the tail end of those really great 90s erotic thrillers. And I think like it, in that sense, like in terms of like um, visibility or presence, those got lost. But The Power of the Dog is 
a Western mm-hmm. that is um, unlike um, ones that you might think of. You know, it's not a cry macho or whatever. It's not a Unforgiven. It's um, something that really elevates the genre, which I love the genre. I grew up with it. But it's so like, how many times do I have to watch like, you know, uh, the cowboy um, gunfight thing and like, oh, man, (laughs) these bad guys are coming. We got to defend this little uh, crappy in or whatever. But um, I, I have very, very good feelings about how her career will even go further with this well i think that's a great place for us to end this bailey thanks you so much for for stopping by this week and thank you for having me i'm evangelizing for 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 the goddess jane campion i'm a disciple at her feet (laughs) 